welcome to the House of Learning podcast, produced by A Jesus Church College. Join hosts Richard Tamburo and Molly Inman as they chat with other faculty and guests about church, the Bible, theology, and learning the way of Jesus here in Portland. This week, we've got a guest, Michael Lloyd, and we're going to talk about suffering. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. So I'm Richard, who you should know my voice by now. But we've got a special guest all the way from England, Michael Lloyd. Uh, indeed, and uh, not much point in coming halfway, I thought. <laughs> uh, no. But very good to be with you. <laughs> and so uh, you've got an interesting little connection with the story of, of being here because you are at Wycliffe Hall, which I is am. one of the Oxford colleges. Uh, it's, it's technically a permanent private hall of the University of yes. Oxford, yes. Oxford has its it has own its peculiar lingo. It for does the have its own... Little, it yes. does, yes. But Oxford it, English, in fact. Yes, if you've got a history going... You know, I'll, I'll never forget the first time I went to a conference in Oxford and um, we were meeting... I can't remember which college it was, but it was the new library. And there's a big plaque over the library, you know, founded in 1634 or something. And I just chuckled to myself because I had a couple of American friends with me. Like, yes, only in Oxford with the new library yes. be 500 years old. Well, New College <laughs> itself uh, yes. is, is... I almost went to New College, actually. Is that right? Yes. Yep. But ended up going to York because uh, yeah, it's, that's, it's that's where you go if you don't go to Oxford. Better, better Roman walls. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, and so tell us a little bit about you and what you do at Wycliffe Hall. Okay, so I um, am what is we call the principal, what you'd probably call dean and president, yes. that sort of thing. Uh, so I try and run the place. Yes. Um, and Wycliffe is a theological college that's part of the University of Oxford. And therefore, uh, we are passionate about the fact that doing the most rigorous theological study uh, is completely compatible with uh, faith and, 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 and a living faith yes. and, and service of God. So that the, the confessional and the critical, we think, nourish each other, serve each other. People often say to me, you know, isn't it walking a terrible, terribly difficult tightrope? Yeah. And I say, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because if, if this stuff is true, it will stand up to any critique, any mm. evaluation, any analysis. And you've got everything to gain and nothing to lose. Yes, I love that. From exposing it to that critique. Yes. I think I can't remember who it was. It might have been Bill Craig or someone said, you know, we should ask penetrating questions and expect satisfying answers. Yeah. Because yep. if it's truth, it will stand up. Yes. I love Although that. I'm afraid the satisfying answers often come with more penetrating questions. That's yes. <laughs> and, we, and on you go. <laughs> Always the way. But 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 I, I was just saying to you before we started that I think people are crying out for depth. Yes. And it's by asking those penetrating questions that you go deeper and that's how you drill into yes. yeah, definitely. this stuff. And this like you guys who've listened to the podcast know this is right in my wheelhouse. You know, as someone who's, you know, an academic but working as a pastor and trying to be a bridge yes. between those two worlds. Wycliffe Hall is a place where faith is alive and strong. Yes. But academic rigor and uh, not just learning what was, but trying to push the envelope and explore the new questions and things like this is alive and well and the two are, are walking in step together. We are called Jesus calls us to love God with all our minds as well as our heart, soul, and strength. It's the bit that he adds yes. to, Gen to Deuteronomy 6. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he obviously thinks the life of the mind is really significant. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's, what, that's the uh, territory we inhabit. Yeah. And you've also got 
a Westside connection because Dominic Doan, remember him? I do indeed remember <laughs> Dominic. <laughs> Who's not here anymore. Um, but I'll give you a, a sneak peek, listeners. Uh, I'm going to grab him because he's got a new book coming out. So he's going to he be on the podcast really <laughs> soon. Okay. Um, but he's actually studying through Wycliffe Hall. And so there's a continuing sort of connection he's there. He's doing a, do- is, a part-time... Is he working... Are you one of his supervisors? I, I am one of his two supervisors. So you can spill yes. the dirt on how he's really doing. I could, and... <laughs> If I get a, a message from Dominic <laughs> with money attached to it in the next few minutes, I won't. Yes. Yeah. No, I know. No, I, know Dom, I know Dom is enjoying, enjoying it because I've talked to him along the way um, as someone who'd previously done a PhD. Well, to, to I, try I, and let I, him know it's going to be okay. He, he's, he's my he's my first <laughs> doctoral student actually. Oh, um, really? Wow. And I'm in, really enjoying it. Oh, that's so good it's, fun. It's really fun. Yeah. And so let's get into talking about because I said today we're going to talk about. Not just Wycliffe Hall generally, no, but actually but talk other about topic. For, other forms of evil. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so suffering, and yes. so this has become uh, a topic for you that you've explored and talked about lots. Uh, and I don't know; it might make sense to some people, like, oh yeah, of course, that's a big question. Mm-hmm. But what on earth happened to make you want to spend? a lot of life on trying to explore this because also you know you you could have become an expert in wine tasting yes that would have like been that, there's all these other that things that would have had its advantages so yeah why the practical why work would have been more to like god and suffering yeah um i did a degree as part of my theological training and i when i was training for ministry ordained ministry and um i did better in it than i was expecting and therefore yeah. um N.T. Wright, who was my college chaplain and who's now actually on the staff at Wicked, started hassling me to take academic ministry seriously. My professor at Durham, which is why I did my degree, uh, started hassling me to do that. And I thought, well, I don't want to do it for the sake of doing it. I don't want to do further study just for the sake of it. I want to do something that helps the Mm. church. Um, And so this obviously does this is something that everybody wrestles with in some way shape or form at some point um so the pastoral needs of this are huge i think i'm also aware that uh you you can't put right somebody's suffering but you can make it worse yes and quite often (laughs) the things we say make it worse for people yes and and i wanted to try and help the church not to make it worse mm. for people yeah um and uh, and to and to speak with reality but with hope into mm. into that context so that's yeah. part of it um and uh I, I also just thought that this was an area that i didn't have an answer to yes. there, there was a hole in my argument yes and I was very aware that there was a hole in my argument. And I thought, if I could spend three years plugging that hole or yes. trying to plug that hole, that would be that would be helpful. Yes, that is interesting. There, there does need to be some sort of personal, yes, uh, like deep desire to actually want to answer the question. Yes, yeah, yeah. because yeah. because it's such a personal, it's personally important area. Um, to be aware that one is on on thin ice. Yes. Uh, is an uncomfortable feeling. You, uh, what am I offering these people? Yeah. If I can't actually argue it, justify it. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Su- support it. So, like so much of what you just said sort of comes together in that, that sometimes the uh, to provide an answer without empathy yeah. is often the sort of trite yeah. 
thing that actually ends up harming or causing pain to someone. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, Job's one. The thing Job cries out with is, "Do but listen to me, and let yes. that be the consolation you offer me." Yes. Um, to offer an answer without listening, without engaging, without empathy is, yeah. Uh, just going to exacerbate the problem. And British people love Job because his book is full of sarcasm, which is one of our love languages. (laughs) (laughs) One of my my favourite moments is Job is when he turns to his friends and says, doubtless you are the men and wisdom will die with you. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. um, I hadn't heard the argument that he was British before, but (laughs) it is conclusive. He may well have been, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, I'm just thinking, like Alpha USA and Barna, um, did some research, I think last year, but mm-hmm. they were doing some new videos and they went round, um, I, I was at a, an alpha sort of mini conference and they showed lots of the raw footage of these interviews and um, out, like out of 100 people, 49 of them said their big question is like, why is there evil? Mm. Why is there suffering? Mm-hmm. Yep. For the, another 49 were, I feel so alone, <laughs> even when I'm in a room full of people. And then there were two, and there were two other issues, you know. Yes. So, so it is one of the dominant questions that people are carrying around with them. Uh, and the other one is really interesting too, isn't it? Because yeah. that's actually that sounds like depression. Yes, feeling alone when you're in company. Yes. is one of the symptoms yeah. of depression. It's almost like there's a kind of societal depression. Yeah. Like, so why, why do you think it's? I mean, because pain is in the world there is suffering yes so and pain is painful so everyone's going to have have a problem with pain but when it comes to theology in the bible and god all of a sudden it becomes a provocative question so like why do you think suffering is a kind of particularly provocative issue for people the moment god is put on the table they almost as a reflex want to say well yeah but what about suffering i think it's a right instinct I think it's a right instinct in people that they think that and they rightly think that Mm. um, there shouldn't be such a thing. It should not be like this. It should not happen. These things are things that should not be. Yeah. And that's right. Do you you think that's a sort of inbuilt, there's a humanness to that instinct? Yes, I do. So it's less of a theological Christian should think this, but more of a human's. Exactly. So it's sort of designed, because I think designed for pain. I think everybody, regardless of what their worldview is, feels the same. Yeah. Um, Except probably for people who are, you know, um, pathologically (laughs) warped or something. I think everybody feels these things should not be. And there you have Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus, knowing he's about to raise him to life again, but breaking down in yes. grief and anger. Yes, uh, yeah. He's snorted in spirit is, is mm. the kind of translation of that. Um, and that seems to me that to say, look, death is an obscenity. Mm. Uh, even if it's about to be undone, yes. <laughs> it should not have happened. Yes. It should not be. It, I find it very interesting, especially death. Yes. It's very interesting that sometimes Christians get accused of downplaying suffering into a, well, I know it feels like suffering, but it's really fine because it's all part of the plan. It's all part of what is good. So it's it's almost like, let's just relabel suffering. Or Christians get accused, sort of the other end of the spectrum of, well, you know, I'm going to be in heaven, so it doesn't really matter anyway. It's a sort of temporary 
So it's sort of some way to, yes. with a change of perspective, minimize the pain or sort of by relabeling. Um, and they, they seem to be sort of different ends of a spectrum. And, and, and I think um, you get, they get accused of it rightly often yes. <coughs> because um, theodicists give a technical term, yes. people who study theodicy, which is theological responses to the problem of evil yeah. based on two Greek words, theos and dike, the righteous, righteousness of God, showing that God is righteous in yes. spite of the way things yeah. appear and the way things are. Um, theodicists often do try to argue that former situation mm. that suffering is good for us in some way that we need it in some way yes. that it deepens us that it enables us you know you couldn't have compassion if it weren't for suffering yeah. to respond to that we couldn't have courage unless there was threat yeah and therefore we need these things and um i th very strongly disagree with that yes. position i don't think it's our job as theodicists to justify suffering it's our job to justify god yes um and when you actually look, I've just been doing some work recently on the attitude of Jesus to suffering. Mm. And I looked at every single place in the Gospels where you see Jesus and suffering in the same frame, if you like. Yes. And he's always attacking it. Yes. Never once does he say, oh, this is obviously doing you good. Yes. I'll leave you as you are. You have a good day now. Yes. Um, it doesn't happen. Yeah, it's, it's almost as if... Uh, in the face of an embarrassing issue, Christians have tried to let's try to minimize the amount of suffering. Yes. When actually the scriptures are full. I mean, talk about Job. You know, a, a, a Job. I mean, there's a lot of questioning and wrestling, but there's like rich lament. Yes. Of just grieving over the suffering and acknowledging the suffering, and the, and the Psalms. I mean, all the way through Scripture. You know, one of God's primary responses to suffering is to protest yes. against it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and the second approach that you you mentioned of kind of saying, well, it's only temporary, whatever, mm. it's still horrendous. Yes. It is only temporary, and that is yeah. part of the good news. The defeat of suffering yeah. is, it, it is hugely important, but that doesn't make it okay. Yes. And people know that. Yeah. They know it in their bones. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I often run into, because I've, I mean, I've taught on this, um, you know, in, in sort of, sort of Bible college situations, but yes. also in philosophy classes. And just the complex kaleidoscope of what an answer to suffering involves yeah. is really hard because there's so many different facets to suffering and so many different facets to understanding and the, the range of reactions. Yeah. But it does seem we kind of uh, get our knickers in a twist by grabbing hold of sometimes one or two aspects and making it the whole yep. answer. Yeah. Um, Yep. You know, it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, well, I, 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 think I was about to start saying the varieties of ways you can do that, but there's so many of well, them. Well, there are so many of them. And um, no, I think that that is that we, we, we minimize it too easily. Yes. Um, and, and it's not good enough. Yeah. And sometimes that's like there's a lot of wisdom in just um, acknowledging the complexity. And, and allowing there to be a sort of humility that breeds a sort of being slow to speak and quick to listen to people and things like that. Yes. Um, sometimes as we scramble for handholds, we find... I, I'll never forget there was one couple who... Um, they were uh, in their 70s, um, and they lost their daughter uh, from sudden... It was like uh, infant cot death, but at the age of 11, hmm. just dropped dead. 
Um, and the things that people had found helped to protect them emotionally. Like, well, I'm sure God has a plan. Like, and a few of the things that were prevalent in their church circles when they were processing this, they'd learned, you know, to, to articulate. I remember me and Anna being at dinner with them once and just saying, is that what you really believe? <laughs> And yeah. not in a not in a challenge way, but yeah. just asking like, was that helpful to you? And them just saying no. no. And then fifty years of grief poured out. Yes. And yes. and just not I had no answer, but just listening to them mm. was so healing. Um, I mean, and God does have plans, but suffering is not one of them. Yes. And uh, I think that's hugely important. You know, it, yeah. in a sense, when when you say, you know, what place has suffering in the purposes of God? None. Yes. Now he can bring good out of it, and he does. But yes. when he does that, it's God we have to thank, not the suffering. Yes. And that reminds me because you talked about Jesus and suffering, and, yeah. you, and there is a profound war against suffering yes. that Jesus is on a on a crusade against. But then I can I can understand why Christians. Um, have a hard time knowing what box to put suffering in because then they might flip over to Paul and see, you know, Paul says, you know, you can rejoice in suffering because of God's redemptive work and the way God works in the midst of suffering. But it's quite difficult to make that nuanced distinction between rejoicing in God's ability to redeem ashes into beauty yes. and, oh, aren't ashes beautiful, right? And, and that's and that's the slip over you must never make. Yes. Um, but but remember that both of them assault suffering wherever they see it. Yes, I mean Paul reflects something of the healing ministry of Jesus. Yeah, um, and our job is never to justify suffering; it's to attack it, to fight yes. it, to to be relentless in our opposition to it, to join in the divine assault upon it that we mm. witness in the nature and healing miracles of yeah. Jesus. Yeah, I love that. I mean just thinking of like if someone's listening the next time they bump into someone who's in the midst of suffering because i i can understand not just christians but i can understand why as humans we do have all of these sort of defense reflexes yes. to try to yep. escape our sense of pain yep. or loss to i mean all sorts of mechanisms you know um and I, this is a little bit more of a maybe pastoral question, mm. but I'm th sure the theology will inform it. it I don't know. It, is there, what, what's the wisdom you would share? I don't want to ask you for the answer because yeah. I know there isn't one, but what's the wisdom you would share in the tension of like allowing people a little bit of room to maybe turn the magnifying glass around, you know, and, and try to move their suffering away from things yeah. a little bit? And actually inviting them deep into wrestle with it and process it and try to fit it into God's narrative. Yes. You know. Yes. I mean, I think what I mentioned earlier, uh, the listening thing is is the first thing. Joe's friends um, listen for the first is it three days or seven mm -hmm. days? I can't remember. Um, uh, it's only when they open their mouth that they start going <laughs> wrong. They start well. Um, that should be a T-shirt. It's only yes. when Job's friends open their mouths <laughs> that things went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and good for people doing podcasts to remember as yes. well. Um, 
but that that seems to be the first thing and do not be shocked or concerned if mm. it is angry an angry tirade against god that you're hearing yeah because people are angry and that's what happens and st- sometimes i think especially because we've got somewhat trite responses yep. to suffering yep. and we don't always read our bibles thoroughly we can kind of want to step in and almost protect god when someone's grieving and venting and yes. telling god how they yes. feel and uh, you know but actually i think it's a third of the psalms yes uh, a lament psalms <laughs> yes. which is exactly that yes. you know it's and it, and we're not when we're angry about suffering we're joining in the anger of god at it yes we're not doing something different yes god is angry too yes um that that's what you learn from the graveside of lazarus yes um so and that kind of silent weeping joining with the sufferers yes. is a sort of a profound act actually of love by yes. association Ab- absolutely so yes. i mean i think that's the the f- attentive and non-reactive mm. space yes uh, is the first thing secondly as I say, you can only make things worse. You can't make things better for them. Yeah. Don't make it worse. Don't suggest this is God's plan or intention. Yeah. Worse still, do not suggest it's God punishing them for something because then you make God the enemy Yes. rather than what he needs to yes. be at that point, yes. which is their, their, their equally grieved friend. Yes, yes. Yeah, that and that phrase, I think, launches us into a couple of the big questions right Mm -hmm. very often my experience is the people for whom suffering and theology appear a mismatch Mm -hmm. there's something that's preventing them thinking that christianity is meaningful or coherent or anything like that are often people who have some deep pain yes and there's something about their expectations of god the kind of story they have, the narrative they have of what God's like, that means their experience of suffering has made God an enemy to them. Yes. Um, like, why? What do you think is the story that people are carrying around that's leading them to that conclusion? Um, I think it's. I mean, I think they are right that there is a mismatch between theology and suffering. Yes. It, once you understand the goodness of God, once you look at the ministry of Jesus and the assault upon suffering that he wages. Yeah. They're right. Um, but I think what they're, where their kind of paralysis is coming from, um, existential paralysis in mm. a sense, is coming from, is that they think that God always gets his way. Yes. And therefore, if suffering happens, it's because God wants it to happen. Yes, yes. Um, in some kind of... You know, and then they have to try and find out, well, why would he want to? And then we twist ourselves into uh, contortions to, to try and think of why he might. And it doesn't work and it doesn't add up and it doesn't yeah. help people. Um, but actually, you know, there are not many knockdown arguments in theology. But this is one. We know that God doesn't always get his way because sin happens. Yes. He says, do not eat the fruit of this tree. And they do. Yeah. So God doesn't always get his way suffering is an example of that yes it's it's one of the things where you see god not getting his way and the response should be i am going to fight alongside god Mm. so that these things that he does not want that are not of him that are not part of his plan or purpose um 
are minimized and, and eventually eradicated. Yes. It's such an important concept that God doesn't get his way. I was actually, that, that very phrase, because I have used that all the time as well, <laughs> I was actually thinking about it in the shower, which where I do all my best thinking at the beginning of the day. <laughs> very good. Uh, but, um, and we've talked about this on the podcast many times. Well, they say um, cleanliness is next to godliness, <laughs> don't they? Um, but it does seem to be that there's something about the way the story of God and the story of the Bible is being told in the Western traditions mm-hmm. that makes the idea that God may not always get his way sound like a weird, liberal, progressive, alien yes. idea, right? Um, so, Whereas, in fact, it is kind of the undergirding of the gospel mm. because the gospel that Jesus preached was the, the gospel of the kingdom. Yes. The kingdom breaking in in the ministry, death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, the point is it needed to break in. Yeah. It wasn't that which was already pertaining throughout human history. Yeah. Uh, if, if that had been the case, if things had been going exactly as God wanted them, we wouldn't need yeah. the intervention, the kind of radical intervention of, of God in the, in the person of Jesus. Yeah. Um, it is precisely because God was not getting his own way yeah. that you needed the coming of christ yes and and this i mean even what like you know a, a, another god not getting his way because you went to the beginning of, of sin yes which you know historically has been cast either as a sort of willful rebellion which is god not getting his way but yes. the alternative is a sort of tragedy you know of sort mm. of naive innocence hoodwinked but that's also not you know it's got not god getting his way but then um, just thinking of Jesus like looking over Jerusalem, yes. saying, I wanted, but, but you, you would, would not. not. Uh, you know, it's a really poignant example yeah, for me. Yeah, no, it is. Very poignant. Um, so I, I'm going to play a, a little bit devil's advocate. Very so, good. So sort of, you know, I suspect it's a role that comes very naturally <laughs> to you. It is the philosopher's <laughs> prerogative. <laughs> but, uh, but actually thinking of all the people I've talked to, yep. very commonly, if they have some knowledge of the scriptures, though, they will say, okay, well, yeah, maybe God doesn't always get his way. But God does sometimes intervene to get his way. Mm-hmm. So how come here and now in my case, or maybe they're watching some other case, you know, a, f- a friend going through something or something like that, why not here? Yep. So so it's sort of the question sort of gets rephrased and asked again in a situational way. Yeah. Can I take a run up at that one? Yes. Um, so to take a few steps back, um, the, the problem with the view that I've been articulating, uh, it, well, it normally requires a doctrine of the fall, that something has gone, there's mm. been a hiatus. Yes. Since God intended the world to be in harmony with himself and therefore in harmony with itself. Yes. All the different parts cooperating. Um, that's clearly not the world we live in now. Something has gone wrong. Yeah. And it's been traditional to locate that uh, in the fall of Adam and Eve. Yeah, uh, human beings rebelling. Uh, however, you interpret that story, this, which this we've talked about Genesis one, two, and three probably more than any other part of the Bible. So, listeners should be right with you. Very good. <laughs> um, now, if there's any truth in modern science and modern biological genetic science at all, um, there's been pain, killing, suffering, death, predation mm. around long before human beings ever emerged. Um, so it won't do to blame it all on human beings. Yes. What I 
do and this is where my research took me and this is the the plugging of the gap mm. that i was talking about in, in my argument um plugging of the hole is to say is to notice that there was a prior there is within jewish and christian tradition a prior fall yes namely that of the angels um and simply to say maybe there's some reality to that mm. kind of language uh maybe there's been a rebellion within that dimension of mm. reality and this is the only kind of new bit yeah <laughs> maybe that so interrelated are the different dimensions of creation that what happens in the spiritual dimension with the fall of the angels affects and dislocates and distorts and warps all the other dimensions mm. of reality as well so that it is no longer <laughs> reflective of that harmony yes once you break the relationship with god you break the relationship with one another yes. and the whole thing ripples out from yes, there yeah so that's kind of where i'm coming from yeah <coughs> and i think like, it connects to something we've talked on the podcast before about about um just the way we tell the story of creation we kind of often have this image of god intimately micromanaging every detail yes. of every point of history yeah but actually a more biblical worldview is that god is sort of the grand architect and he distributes authority and responsibility yes among the spiritual beings and then also to humans yes and that both of those distributed responsibilities fail it yes. not wholly but, but in, in part in a yeah. way that the blueprint gets Warped. broken and marred yeah. and yeah. and we're on a journey of not just restoration of the blueprint but restoration of the authority and responsibility um so it's just a, it's it does twist the storyline to think well god's job in the story is not now to wade in and begin micromanaging everything what god actually wants is to restore these partnerships as well Ab absolutely and uh, interest i mean the way i tend to put it is that god ha is is the source and owner of all power mm. but he loans it out oh i like that yeah and Good and analogy. he that can therefore eventually call it in yeah. and call us to account for how we've used it and that's why when we say god doesn't you know doesn't always get his way that's not a threat to ultimate hope because yes. he remains the owner of that power and he can call it in yes. but in the meantime he respects the use to which we put it he allows us to make those decisions because otherwise we're robots yeah. and incapable of love yeah um so no that's 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 um I like, I like the way you put that. So that's the background. Now, let's take an example here of somebody praying for someone they love to be healed yes. and, and it not happening. Most kind of theological schema have two people they can blame in that situation. Mm -hmm. Either God, so he obviously didn't want to heal yes, this person. Yes, God, God said no. Yes. For some and, and had some reason. Had some reason for saying no. Yeah. Um, and that creates significant tension with what i described earlier which is that every single situation is which we see jesus who is our window onto god mm. you see him assaulting suffering um or you can blame us yeah we didn't pray enough didn't we have didn't enough have faith. enough faith yes weren't good enough people had some sin or had some sin yeah. um and that is pastorally usually quite damaging because mm. in addition to the pain <laughs> Of, of somebody not being healed who they love is their fault yeah yeah um so either of those ha has huge now i'm not saying there's absolutely no truth in either but yes but they're not 
they can't be made the whole story. They can't really cannot be made yeah. the whole story. Now, what my schema does is introduce a third possibility, mm. which is that uh, you know there is opposition mm. to what God wants to do. That there's something that blocks it, and you get that in Daniel nine and ten, where Daniel is praying, yeah, uh, and and then the, the archangel comes and says. Sorry, I'm late. I got held up on yes. the motorway. <laughs> Terrible traffic. <laughs> the Prince of Persia opposed me. Uh, so the help that God wanted to give to Daniel is delayed and frustrated by opposition. It's such a poignant example because literally Daniel prays and probably has a month of being confused. Yes. Well, confused if he expected always to get immediate yes. answers. Yes, yes. Um, and then finds out that actually the reason there was this period of well, where you can only imagine actually the it's not like Daniel was in a wonderful situation just had an interesting question to ask God no like no. all of his identity safety national identity was on the line absolutely all of the angst of that waiting time you know something deeply cared about deeply invested in must have been horrific yes and actually something wanted to get in the way of God answering that prayer. Yes. And it didn't stop it, but it did delay it. Yes. And that's a really interesting sort of concept to think, you know, can God be overcome? Can God be prevented from doing things? Because when you say God doesn't always get his way, you know, we can think of like the people of Israel not wanting to turn to God and Jesus yep. saying you wouldn't. Yes. But then the, there's a question that we're also setting the storyline of the whole cosmos of is the destiny of the cosmos in jeopardy? Will God ultimately be prevented or not? Mm. And the way we answer the situational and the big storyline are related, but they're quite different answers as well. They are. And so that's, another layer of complication. And that's where, I, as I say, the, the fact that God is remains the owner yes. of, of all power um, as he is the source of it. Yes. Is, is hugely important. So I don't go, for those of you who are kind of up on these theological yeah. things, I don't go the process theology route of, of saying that and I was God is powerless. I was mention that. Yeah, so the reason God doesn't get his way, process theology says, well, God either may not have enough power yes. or more usually can't see the future because it doesn't exist. Yes. So he's having to react the same way we are, yeah. which is going to place a limitation on God's ability to always ensure a preferred future. And and process theology's Achilles heel is eschatology, is 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 a, a vision for the future yes. for future hope. And they really struggle with it. Yeah. Uh, you just, obviously because yeah, you have because, all the same Christian theology, you just have yes. to put the word maybe at the end. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which which is yeah. unhelpful, maybe yes. maybe. And and it's an interesting actually relationship in the midst of suffering. I mean, I mean, we're coming up on Easter. Yes. You know, to celebrate a moment of profound victory inaugurating the kingdom. Yes. And so it's like the war has been won, but the land still needs to be liberated. Yes. And you get that <coughs> wonderfully in um, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, yes. don't you? Between the stone table cracking. Yeah. And, and you know, there's still a battle to be fought. Yes. That's where we are. That's where we're located. Yes. And it's painful. Yes. And we're not there and we're not where we want to be. Yes. But we know the destiny of the war. Yes. And, and yes. that's one of the interesting things when people say things like, well, you know, God's victorious. God has a plan. You know, I, I think sometimes it's, 
actually probably most of the time it's not actually well thought out. But I think for some people, they are genuinely trying to latch onto the big storyline yes. and say, well, ultimately there's hope. Yes. But it's hard to nuance the translation of ultimate hope of how the war's going to go with the fact there may be pain and loss in this battle here for this bit of history or this moment in someone's life. Yes. Um, so and like that's ha- how do we pull it in but mm. not like allow it to breathe some hope but not in a, a way that diminishes or de- destroys the, the room for lament and grief and pain? It's a good question. I mean, I think it's about space. It's not allowing the future hope to smother the pain or mm. the appropriate expression of that pain. It doesn't. Yeah. It didn't for Jesus at the graveside of Lazarus. Even though, I mean, you know, the undoing of that act was minutes away. Yes. Or even Jesus at the cross. Or even Since Jesus. We're at the Easter themes. Yes. You know, yes. like Jesus' pain. Well, the, the church very quickly stepped into a heresy of, no, no, it has to be real pain and real suffering. Yes, yes, no, absolutely. Yes. Um, because, again, we find it difficult to cope with mm. the concept of God, you know, yeah. embracing the full human condition. Yeah. Uh, whereas, actually, it's pagan gods who run away from suffering and, and death. Mm. There's, there's a wonderful um, bit in one of Euripides' plays, Hippolytus, where... Artemis comes across the dying Theseus and says, oh, I'm out of here. Yeah. I, I, it's a loose translation <laughs> of the Greek. Um, but she says, says, I may not stain my eyes with the sight of departing breath. Mm. Well, we worship a God who knew in his own lungs the agony of departing breath. Yes. Yes. That's a very different, you know, actually that is one of the ways you can tell the true God from the false gods one who who comes that close and shares all yes the muck and the grime and the horror of, of human existence yes. and it's the it's the very i mean i talked about uh, earlier like some of the mechanisms we have of sort of denial escapism avoidance yeah like god's approach is actually to sweep all those things off the table and say no i'm gonna engage yes and and as, as a little tangent um christian spirituality is therefore into the realities of human existence, yes. not an escape from them, not an otherworldly, let's get out of this into some more, more pleasant environment. Mm. No, it's living a godly life with some of the resources yeah. that God provides uh, in the mess and the muck uh, uh, and the horror yeah. alongside people who are suffering, yeah. not, not trying to get away. Yeah, it profoundly, when we see God's strategy... For dealing with brokenness is yes. actually his and his way of loving the people, uh, which is a part of making it better, but then a way of actually fixing brokenness yes. is to enter into suffering. Uh, it profoundly changes because we have such a Western sort of idol of comfort, yep. security, yes. things like that that are very uh, they make it very difficult for us to view suffering, entering into suffering as actually part of God's strategy yes. for how to redeem suffering. And, and, and Good Friday. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. there it is. Uh, there's not much comfort or yeah. <laughs> you know, ease there. Yeah. Um, and the, the early church had a, a slogan, um, which is that which is not assumed is not mm-hmm. healed. That which God does not take into himself 
is not put right. And, and obviously, because what is the only healing thing is to be brought into contact with God in the person of Jesus. That is what is happening. Um, that the worst aspects of human existence are being brought on the cross into contact with the infinite resources of God mm. and the healing resources of yeah. God. And so it is vital <laughs> that God in Christ is embracing everything at its worst yes. within the human condition. And and Christian living needs to reflect that movement in some mm. way. And there's a there's a sort of inaugurated way of talking about that mm-hmm. because the cross you know is the ultimate suffering that uh, can can match can adopt can make connection with any suffering yes but also i was just thinking of like uh, colossians when paul uh, says in chapter 1 you know i rejoice in what i'm suffering and i fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to christ's afflictions so the church was very clear, Christ suffered. Yes. And, it, yes. and it's a profound suffering that changes everything, changes yes. the destiny of everything. But God's strategy continues to be suffering. And, and, and yes, that's, and that's absolutely right. And, and uh, that's what kind of qualifies just slightly or puts in, it doesn't even qualify, it kind of puts a, a different emphasis upon it. What I was saying earlier about, how God, you know, suffering is not part of God's plan, yes. and I and I hold to that. Um, but if you want to see how God can bring good out of suffering, the cross is a pretty good place to look. Yes, it, that horror is um, where you know, that from which all our experience of God and access to God and hope uh, is engendered. Um, so. It is gloriously the case that there is nothing, there is no suffering mm-hmm. from which God cannot bring some good. That doesn't yes. make it okay. It doesn't make it, it doesn't stop it from being horrendous. It doesn't stop it from being something that should not be and should yes. not occur. But it's not, nothing is infertile yes. uh, f- for good. Yes, There's the potential for good is not lost. Hope yes. is not lost. Yes. And that's why Paul is able to be to glory in it yes even though both he and jesus attack it yes and and he is in a sense uh not calling the church to look for more suffering no but actually in contrast with culture being able to look at the suffering of the church and say guys this doesn't mean things are going bad it hasn't and derailed lost. it hasn't derailed yes. anything yeah no i, I think and the church had to be clear that you shouldn't go looking for it. Um, St. Ignatius, one of the early yeah. fathers of the church, kind of did go looking for it, did want to get himself martyred. Yeah. And the church had to say, well, it doesn't count if you look for it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you need, yeah, you need that kind of correction. And it's a, it's a very nuanced thing still, you know, because when we say to people who are suffering, look at the cross, we're not saying, well, maybe your suffering is for someone else. Because you hear that sometimes, yeah, yeah. and and sometimes it is, you know. Oh, if I'd never got cancer, my brother wouldn't have come to know Jesus, or you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, and, and that can happen. It can, and, and that there's some beauty in that. But it's it's a little bit more maybe pulling out the resurrection and saying, look, God is able. Like one of the things our God does is He's able to take things that are dead mm-hmm. and make them alive again. Mm-hmm. 
And so even in the face of the pain and the suffering, that God would look at the thing that's causing death and say, that's not going to be the end of the story. Yeah. And and, and the, the, there's a wonderful book by um, Nicholas Waterstorff called Lament mm. for a Son. I don't know if yes. people have heard it, read it, but um, basically when his son died in a climbing accident, um, he, rather like C.S. Lewis with Grief Observed, he kind of wrote down his reflections. Mm. Um, and I think they're fantastic. And this is lamentable if you know see what i mean yes. uh, it's, a, it's full of lament lamentful yes. rather than yes. lamentable um and there's one point he said you know what possible hope is there other than having him back mm. Mm. and the good thing is that god has that capacity yeah to to undo cosmically yes what has gone wrong and that's that's part of what the gospel story is that not only does god want to but God has set in motion the achievement of that in a way that is not going to be stopped. Yes, and 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 uh, I mean this is just a metaphorical use of the term, but just as the the disciples gather up the fragments after mm. the of the bread and the fish after the feeding of the five thousand, so God will gather up all the mm. fragments and restore yes. all that is good. Yes. So I, there's one elephant in the room I'm thinking of. Oh yes. So. If we get the story of God right, yep. and so we don't have the expectation that God always gets his way. Yep. Um, and looking back when we want to attribute cause and probably blame mm-hmm. for suffering, we just do it in a more complicated way, acknowledging that actually it, it's probably a, a product of maybe spiritual forces mm-hmm. their responsibility yep. human forces and their responsibility yep. and the brokenness of the canvas on which events are playing out mm-hmm. i wonder if there's still somebody says okay well god maybe doesn't get his way but wouldn't it be better if he did mm-hmm. which i mean uh, yeah anselm got into this by sort of saying you know why did the, the devil fall why did god allow this to happen in, yep. the, in the first place yep which is one way of historically a lot of theology has been done on why did the first sin occur? But essentially that is getting at this issue of like, wouldn't it, but wouldn't it be better if God just stamped out sin by preventing everything going wrong all the time? And, and surely our God is powerful enough to, and we, we have a hard time coming up with an answer for why he wouldn't do that. Yeah. Uh, And this is where, I mean, this is not a, uh, a new, new, <laughs> de- desperately innovative um, response, but uh, I do think the question of freedom is mm. is a significant one here. And um, I, I was catching because you dropped in a few things about us love and yep. not being pawns, and yep. you, so you wove some things in here. Well, I don't think you, I don't think love is meaningful unless we are free mm-hmm. to refuse it. Yeah. Uh, if if I found out that my wife had been hypnotized into. Um, Agreeing to marry me, uh, that would that would undercut yes. my sense of being valued and cherished and chosen. Yes, um, and similarly, if we are robots, if we have no choice, if we have been programmed to do what is right and to choose what is right and to love God, um, we're not. It's not love. Yes, um, and therefore God cannot stack the dice. Yeah, um, He cannot take away that freedom mm-hmm. and leave us as significant agents yes um so I, I i i think he had 
you know, we had to be free to make that decision. Yes, and I, I think not only um, is there a way to talk about freedom being better, but also if it was taken away mm. or never given, mm-hmm. but we thought we had it, uh, like a sense of betrayal. Like, it's interesting you talk about being hypnotized. I, I wrote, uh, I remember in an article writing about, you know, imagine you discovered you were married to an evil neuroscientist <laughs> who had programmed you all along and you'd had 20 years of veridical experiences, emotions, thoughts yep. about love, family, enjoyment of life, but you discovered it had all been programmed. You know, would you say, oh, well, but I still did love my wife for these last 20 years. No, you'd probably feel betrayed and say, oh, I never loved you. And yep. and, it w- and we would feel robbed of something that feels meaningful and worthwhile. And God would be deceitful. Yes. He would make it look as if, feel as if, yes. seem as if um, we were engaged in meaningful decisions and choices when in fact we weren't. Yeah. And a real relationship when in fact we weren't. Um, I, I, I can't myself see that there's any substance to no. that whole way of it seems a very and people do try and tell the story but it seems a very strange story to tell yes that you know I, I have a hard time making my peace with god intended it to look a certain way but really if you're theologically clever enough you can see that actually it's not that way at all uh, and i think you know god himself um what what would that mean for him? Yes, <laughs> he would know that it was a sham. Yes, he would know it was a charade. What what? Why would he do it? Yes, and uh, and it's it, this is why I like um, it's something we emphasize at our church. Like mm-hmm. knowing the story of God really well. Yes, matters to forming our expectations, mm-hmm. uh, because especially when we're in the moment of encountering pain, it has become so dominant in our story and our narrative. It'd be very easy to say, well, surely what God wants is my pain to go away. Yes. And that's true. It is true. It's just that can't be the guiding principle that you then use to shape the whole story to try to bring meaning to the pain. And there will be a final putting right of all things when God does finally get his way in that that kind of understanding. And, um, And there are occasional... Pre, pre-echoes of yes. that state when healing takes place. Yes. When we pray thy kingdom come, and, it, and it isn't just a f- no. a, an eschatological prayer. No, no. But it it, it's a prayer we know is, is not always going to be realized the way we might want. And of in course, the it now. is also an offering of ourselves to be the vehicles through which that can yes. happen, the channels through yeah. which that can flow. Um, but, but we cannot expect now <laughs> what is only on offer then. Yes, yes. And and there's still so much nuance in this because, you know, if God, what he wants is these free creatures who he can distribute relationship, partnership, authority, responsibility, just like rich beings and rich relationships. Um, the fact that God can't always get his way mm-hmm. doesn't mean we have to go all the way over to being deists no. where god kind of winds up the clock no. and has to keep his hand like god can still interact with his creation yes it's just that god he's careful that in interacting he's not destroying people's ability to become the rich thing he wants them to be able to become and um austin farrow was an uh, english theologian um philosopher 
of the 20th century. And I don't actually uh, buy his whole approach to the problem of evil, but he does say one really useful thing, which is that God loves us as God, not as a fellow creature. Hmm. Um, So we kind of sometimes expect God to do to us what we would do for each other or expect from each other. Hmm. That's... But he, but he acts as God in, in such a way as not to take away our responsibility to act as fellow creatures, to yeah. support one another in the ways that we can. Yeah. Um, otherwise, we are slightly diminished in our significance. Yes, and, and the potential. And, potential. And, and, and once we realize it, which eventually we would, we would feel actually that sense of betrayal yeah. that may have made us recontextualize the pain in the moment. Yeah, to, to yep. think differently, feel differently about it. No, that's yeah, a, that's absolutely right. So, because we're going to run out of time, I, I want to ask: having said about four times here, it's a very nuanced, complicated area. Yes. So, if someone's listening, thinking, "Well, uh, I kind of you give me lots to think about, but it's overwhelming. <laughs> like, where where do I go to help make more sense of this?" So, I know you've got a book, which is good fuel for sort of. Pro- continuing to process these types of issues. Yes, I, I mean, I, <coughs> it's not just about the problem of evil. <coughs> Though chapter two gives a bit more flesh on the bones yeah. of, of what I've been talking about, the chapter on the fall. And the, the book's called Cafe Theology, by the way, and I'll put the link in the notes, the podcast notes. Okay, very good, thank you. Um, yes, I'm, I'm meant to be writing a, um, uh, a big book on the problem of evil, okay. a big academic tome on the problem of evil, but don't hold your breath, <laughs> I think. There was a there was an English comedian... <laughs> of a previous um, generation called Peter Cook who once went to a party and said to somebody, hello, what do you do? And they said, oh, I'm, I'm writing a book. And Peter yeah. Cook said, oh, really? Neither am I. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's slightly the sense in which yes. um, I am writing this big book on the problem of evil. But cafe theology will, A, give you the overall kind of the big picture mm. and will sh- secondly will show you a little bit of where, on my understanding, sin and suffering don't belong in it yeah yeah that's good and and people because i will say i think the people talking about this topic who do say no it doesn't belong yes are in a minority of voices that's sadly probably Uh, sadly true um are there other people that you've really appreciated that you know people could look out for um and then I know you you travel around and speak. There's probably some recordings, or might, there might be yeah. some stuff on yes, the, um, the, the, the Wycliffe website or something. I don't th- I'm not sure enough, where it would be. Funnily enough, there probably isn't people must have recorded these conversations the you've had. Uh, there are there are talks out on the web there that yeah. I've given on the problem of evil. So you could probably just Google and actually my the one I, I just talked about Jesus and the problem of evil that's out on the web okay. as, as well. Um, but I mean. I mean, at a, at a more technical level, um, it's probably him at his most accessible, but it's still hard work. Is <laughs> Alvin Plantinga's "God, Freedom, and yeah. Evil," which is a it's a cla- it's not a long book. No, it's but not. You will have to read it slowly and carefully, you, but it will reward and with a hot reading. towel or a cold <laughs> towel over your head, that kind of thing. Yes. Um, Greg Boyd has now, from a perspective not entirely the same of mine, but yeah. he does argue. A similar kind of and case. And he, he usefully has got a sort of uh, more accessible level, and yes. then if you really enjoyed it... He's got to blame go is, is, I think, the accessible level, yep. and then there's the, the, the heavier going ones. Yes. Um, you probably don't need the towel. 
but <laughs> but it's still yes you know a workout and then you like because the Wycliffe connection actually some of N.T. Wright's work trying to help people think through getting the storyline right yes um, he's got some really accessible books no as well. he he has um uh he's got one directly on the subject called evil and uh, evil and suffering something like that yes um which being being this being my particular area i i i think uh has isn't perhaps at the very center of his uh greatest works but i do think his book on the god and the pandemic for instance mm. actually is really good um at looking at a, a sophisticated way of responding to yeah real problems as, as they arise yeah. i would recommend that yeah yeah, it's uh, evil and the justice of God. Evil and the justice of God. The That's right. Thank you. Yes. That was uh, very quick. And, and N.T. Wright is, yeah, I often say to people often ask, because he's so popular in America. Yes. He's almost bizarrely more popular here than he is back at home. That's probably right. Yes. Um, but Except at Wycliffe, <laughs> <laughs> where we love him. But uh, I often say he's a kind of agent provocateur. Mm -hmm. You know, so you'll often yes. throw some interesting ideas out there, but um, you'll find lots of people say, well, I like that, but... I've got a laundry list of things I'm not quite sure is the right way to say it. Which is which is okay. Which is great. That's, I mean, one of the part of his fit in the community of people thinking about these things. What, one of the things he often says is, um, I suspect half what I say is wrong. I, and the problem is I don't know which half. <laughs> um, and, and that's where we're bringing our critical faculties yes. to bear is, is really important. Well, and uh, which actually, I mean, in in a sort of oblique way, but brings in another key resource, which is very often in pain we can tend to become isolated mm -hmm. uh, either by our own actions or the way other people treat it can be a very isolating time and sometimes even i I've, I'm a, and this is why it's one of my pet peeves the trite things people say yeah. is when people want to think about these issues they can find themselves being isolated by people who, who haven't really had much run-in yes. with pain yes and are happy to keep it at arm's length with the trite sayings yes um and like we want to be the kind of church where we we do what we began with. We ask the good questions. We expect truth will actually stand the test of mm -hmm. those questions, but we do it together. Yes. Like God's design for us to to think about life and do life and all of these things. And I'm beating a drum. We've worn very thin here at church, mm -hmm. but it's actually to do it together. Like yes. God designed humanness to work that way in relationship with God as well. So. It's one of the bizarre things that of all the questions that's the hardest, this one could be the one that people end up wrestling with more alone, yes. which is very tragically ironic. One, one, <coughs> one commentary on the book of Job talks about, um, it doesn't quite use the word blasphemy, but it's almost that, the mm. blasphemy of daring to explain that which one does not feel. Mm. Uh, and we need communities that deeply feel yes. the suffering of one another yes, um, before we even think about trying to yes. explain it. And in some sense, you can never explain it because it's inexplicable. So it's that which, it doesn't actually, a suffering and evil do not have a, a, a solid base. Yes. Which, even, I mean, you mentioned Alvin Plantinga, but yes. you know that's one of his key planks is to yes. say, there's some things, there's some handholds to help us navigate but if we think we're going to be able to always have an answer for that thing, yes. that specific thing, yes. we're really kidding ourselves. And, and, and that would be a fool's errand. And, and, and he, for most of his academic career, refused 
to build a theodicy. Yes. He, he built a defense, <laughs> famously, rather than a theodicy. Yes. And uh, he then did kind of weaken and give in and try and attempt a theodicy. And I don't think it's terribly good. <laughs> <laughs> Should have stuck with the defense. Yes, it was a good strategy. <laughs> and, and his defense is one of the, like, as a, when I was teaching philosophy, you'd often have first-year students, you know, just see how never-endingly complicated every question seemed. Say, you know, have philosophers ever really solved or made progress with anything? <laughs> and being able to say, well, actually, the free will defense is one area where yes. most philosophers are agreed we might have solved something. Yes, yes. As a defense. Yes. As a theodicy? Oh, no, of course not. <laughs> no, no, well, and that's right. And and actually, it has, you know, atheist philosophers were claiming that the problem of evil disproved the existence of God. Yes. They don't now. Yes. It's not a strategy. That's anymore. really... Or, or, it's, or it's a very different argument than it used to be. Yes. Which is another which is that long conversation. It's very implausible yes. to believe in God, yes. they would argue The probabilistic now. But argument. But that's a shift. Yes. And that's quite significant. Very significant. Shift. And, and actually, it's a shift that um, some people are like, oh, no, not another argument. But actually, it's nuanced things in a healthier way yes. to be maybe asking better questions. Yeah. As it's a good shift. Yeah, I think it's a good shift. I mean, I think it was always a, 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 a bold claim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think most atheists philosophers would accept that now. Yeah. That, that, no, that's going too far. Yes. We can't argue that. Yeah. All right. Well, that's enough for today. So I hope <laughs> that's been food for thought for you all. Um, uh, this is one of my nerd topics. It was part of my PhD. So if you're interested, you can always find me on Sunday and I will happily take you for coffee and talk about this stuff. Uh, and where can they find your doctoral thesis? Uh, they'll have to Google it. It's on the York archives. There you go. So there you go. And, and mine will be on the Oxford Bodleian and the Library. Oxford ones, so yes. There you go. All right. Well, thank you, Michael. This has been a real pleasure. God bless. Thanks for listening to this episode of the House of Learning podcast. This podcast is produced by Jesus Church College, based at Westside Jesus Church in Portland, Oregon. AJC College trains and mobilizes the next generation of kingdom leaders through an accredited four-year degree in biblical studies with an emphasis on leadership and formation. We combine classroom learning with mentoring and ministry apprenticeship for a third of the cost of traditional college. To find out more, go to ajccollege.org or follow us on Instagram to find out if this is where God could be calling you to explore your calling. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share it with someone. And if you have a question you'd like us to chat about, please let us know. You can email us at podcast at ajccollege.org. If you can, send us a 20-second audio recording saying who you are and where you're from along with your question, and we'd love to include it in a future episode.